house to house, or it was moved, if you will. And sometimes the ark was treated with the reverence required, but at other times it wasn't, all right? And the ark of the covenant, uh, if you go and look at the pieces of furniture in the tabernacle that Moses built in the, in the book of the law where God began to institute the pieces of furniture in the sacrificial worship, the ceremonial law, the ark was the most important piece of furniture that God required to be in that tabernacle. Can I hear an amen? And one commentator even said that without the ark, everything else was empty space. So nothing mattered if the ark wasn't there. And the Ark of the Covenant represented the access to the presence or to the audience of the Lord. Praise God. Aren't you thankful we have access to the Lord? But the Ark in the Old Testament represented the presence of the God. See, it was there at the Ark of the Covenant that atonement took place. It was there, the ark, where miracles happened. You remember when the priests, they were bearing the ark, and they stepped into the Jordan River. What happened? The Jordan River uh, parted on both sides, and the floodwaters were stayed back from overpowering the people of Israel till they could walk into the other side and begin to inhabit the promised land. Victories happened at the ark. Hallelujah. The throne of God was what, uh, uh, excuse me, the throne of God on earth is what the ark was. It was the presence of God among his people in the Old Testament. It was synonymous with the glory of God. Praise the Lord. So the ark of the covenant was symbolic of the very presence of God. There was peace where the ark of the covenant was. Where the ark was, there was forgiveness and redemption. And where the ark was, there was freedom. Praise the Lord. How many of you remember in the New Testament, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom. So the ark was a place of freedom, the ark of the covenant. Praise the Lord. But most importantly, the ark was a symbol, not just of the presence of God, but of the one, amen, the Messiah that was to come. Praise the Lord. So what Jesus is to the church, now the Ark of the Covenant was to the Old Testament, all right? You follow me so far? The Ark, it, uh, this is kind of the symbols, if you will, of, of how the Ark relates to Jesus. Now, the Ark was made of wood, but it was covered up in gold. And Christ was Emmanuel, God with us. He was flesh wrapped up in deity. Hallelujah. The Ark was an item of preservation. If you could get to the Ark, preservation could take place. And so Christ preserves us for all eternity by the power of of his blood. But but what I've realized in my life in my 35 years is that symbols and representations are good, but the real thing is always better. Amen. Amen. You know, you think about in our country, in America, an eagle, our national bird, a bald eagle, it represents freedom. But I'll tell you what, I'd rather have freedom in my possession than a thousand bald eagles, even though that eagle represents or is a symbol of the freedom that we enjoy. I'm so glad that I have the real thing, aren't you? The real thing. The ark, it could only be approached by a select few, but, but the real, the Christ, the Jesus, the Son of God, he can be approached by all. Hallelujah. Because on the cross, what did he do? He tore the veil. Amen. And he broke down the, the, the middle wall of partition. He welcomed everybody into the bloodline. Hallelujah. I'm thankful for the real deal. How about you? So we know the ark represents the presence, the prevailing presence of God. 
And Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, he came, he lived, he died, he rose again, and he ascended into heaven, sent the Holy Spirit down in his presence. Not only does it dwell in a temple that's made with hands, but it dwells in our hearts, amen, in the individual, praise the Lord. And so I, I was looking through First Samuel and, and some other scriptures throughout this week and noticed how the ark moved from place to place and what happened from place to place, and so I drew some similar with the presence of God. And we're not going to go through and look at every scripture. I'll reference them for your sake, but I'm just going to give you five points. Uh, I believe that's all I've got on what the presence of God really is. Hallelujah. So we'll look at those things chronologically from 1 Samuel through 1 Kings. But the first point tonight is this. The presence of God, when it's reverenced, is followed by triumph. Amen. The presence of God, usually, when we respect it, it brings victory into our lives. Now, we already talked about the parting of the Jordan River and the conquest of Jericho when they marched around that city and the walls came tumbling down. So we see that where the presence or the Spirit of the Lord is, there is victory and there is triumph. Hallelujah. And that's why if you go into 1 Samuel chapter 4, you find Israel in a battle with the Philistines. And there's two men named Hophni and Phinehas. Now, they're the sons of Eli. Now they're wicked men. They they were supposed to be the next in line for the priesthood. They were supposed to be men of God, but they were really just uh, uh, and they were toxic to the ways of the Lord. Does that make sense? They were treating the house of God with no respect. They were doing things that were sinful and not approved. That were wicked, and and they they saw that the battle against Israel was not going so well. The Philistines were over coming the people of God and Hophni and Phinehas, they knew from past experience that wherever the Ark of the Covenant was, it seemed for victory to follow. So they went down to Shiloh, I believe is where it was, and they grabbed the Ark of the Covenant. They carried it into the battle with them, but there was a problem. I want you to get this. Uh, the people of God were not living the way that the people of God ought to live. And so even though in tradition the Ark of the Covenant usually was followed by victory, in this instance in 1 Samuel chapter 4, God did not bring them victory. Why? Because they tried to manipulate the presence of God. That's our second point tonight. Now, the presence of God brings victory, but the presence of God cannot be manipulated. Come on now. The Israelites were attempting to manipulate the presence of God. Even David, if you fast forward into the further into the Old Testament, when he tried to bring the ark on a new car in 2 Samuel, uh, he, he was manipulating the presence of God. He was trying to bring it in his way. Now, the word manipulate, it means to manually operate or to operate by man. In the presence of God... It cannot be controlled by man. Am I right? You cannot control the presence of God. I like how C.S. Lewis described Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia. He said he is not a tame lion. And in the symbolism there, Aslan is like God and how he's creative and, all of the, and he's victorious and all of that stuff. But you know, our God cannot be controlled by man. He cannot be made to do anything by man's power. We can't manipulate the presence of the Lord. Now, now I love to be in his presence, but... 
listen to me. You cannot bring up the presence of God on your own. You can't get the music at the right speed, and you can't bring it down by saying a catchy phrase. Emotions can be manipulated, but the presence of God, the power of God, it can never be manipulated. I've been in services. I, I remember a service one time when, when I, was, I was at a youth revival, and I was preaching one of the nights, and so I went to the first night of that revival, and, and one of the guys, they, they invited a church to come, and I think that, that church brought their own preacher that was unfamiliar to the pastor of that church, and he, he let them go ahead and preach, and all of a sudden that preacher noticed it wasn't going so well. So he tried to manipulate the situation by pretending to speak in tongues and give forth prophecy. And I mean, it didn't take two cents to know that, that he wasn't doing what was right. But he was trying to manipulate the presence of God. And I'll tell you, the real people of God noticed real fast. Because his presence, uh, it cannot be manipulated. So the, the Lord's presence is followed by triumph. His presence cannot be manipulated. Number three, see we're moving pretty fast tonight. The presence of God leaves an impact wherever it falls. Hallelujah. Oh, it leaves an imprint. You can you notice that the presence of the Lord has been there. Do you know anybody in your life when they walk into a room, their presence is felt? You think about, I mean, as soon as they, as soon as they walk into the house or as soon as they walk into whatever venue they, they, they come into, you know that that person is there. I had an uncle who was a lot like that. He's, he's passed on now, but as soon as he walked into any room or any house, you could tell he was there because of how loud he was. He made his presence felt. You know, some people though are just the opposite. They, they, they make the room better by leaving the room. Uh oh. But when the power of God hits a room, hallelujah, it's felt by everybody who's around it. The power, the presence of God, it leaves an impact. Now, uh, I, I want to take some time here. The, the impact is felt even by those who don't want it. Oh, come on now. You fast forward into 1 Samuel, I believe it's chapter number 5, after Israel has lost that battle that they were fighting and the Ark of the Covenant falls into the hands of the Philistines. The Philistines don't want the presence of God, Brother Cooper. They, all they know is that this is a piece of furniture that they've, they've heard stories about, how God was moving in a miraculous way surrounding that thing. And so they, they didn't know what to do with it, but they didn't want God to be a part of their lives. So, so what did they do? They put the ark in the house of Dagon, their God. Oh, they didn't want the presence of God there. But the next morning when they get up and they go into their house of worship, what did they find? That their idol, Dagon, had fallen flat on his face before the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. Even those who don't want it are impacted by the presence of God. Amen. Even, and then the next day they come back in and not only is Dagon, their God, fallen face down, but he's broken in pieces under the power of the presence of God. You know what that shows me? God will not share his glory. Amen. 
God will not share his glory. Those Philistines, they didn't want the impact of the presence of God, yet they still felt the impact. The men of that city were afflicted with really what comes down to being boils and sores in their body. See, they truly felt a physical impact of his presence. Even though they didn't want anything to do with God's glory, they still felt the impact of his presence. What am I saying? I'm saying when you've got God's presence living inside you and you walk into a family member's home and they ain't living right but they know you are, they feel the impact of the presence of God. And so what do they try to do? They try to drag you into their muck and their dirt or they try to get away from you as fast as possible because they know they ain't living right and the presence of God in you is appealing or convicting their soul. They don't want it, but they can feel it. I remember being in a service at Southern Ohio Youth Camp, and there was a lady in the back of the church. She was demon-possessed, and the Spirit of God began to fall. And that demon, he did not want the presence of God to be there where he was. So that demon manifested itself in that lady. She began to throw herself around and scream, and she walked out, ran out, and tried to get away. Why? Because the devil, he doesn't want to be impacted by the presence of the Lord. When Jesus walks on the shoreline there at the Gadarenes and that demon-possessed man is in the tombs, those demons controlling him, they say, Jesus, get away from us. We don't want you. What are you doing here? We don't, we don't want you around here. But there was something inside that man that did want the presence of God in his life. And he felt the impact of the power of God. Even those who are unfamiliar feel the impact of the presence of God. I remember Pastor Randy Snow preaching a sermon about the Great Commission. And he talked about how they were bringing a young lady into their church there in Denton, Texas. And she was, she was trying to get her mom and dad to come to church and one day they they told her they said they sat her down and they were they were wicked people they were sinful people de dealing drugs in the area and all that stuff they sat her down and they said hey we're getting a divorce we're we're going to separate this is the end of our marriage and that little girl began to cry and she said you guys are liars you're liars you told me you'd go to church with me you guys are liars and so to appease that little girl i'm sure they felt guilty because of what they were putting her through. They said, well, we'll go to church with you on the next Sunday. I don't know what day it was, but it was a Sunday. They came with her to church and Pastor Snow talked about how that big man walked down to the front of the church, tears streaming down his face. And he said, I don't know what's going on. I can't help but cry in this house. What are you doing to me, Pastor? It wasn't anything that the pastor was doing, but it was the presence of God God, that was impacting unfamiliar territory. Hallelujah. You know what? His presence is felt when it falls. 
It makes an impact. It makes a difference. Uh, I, I was talking to Brother Fraley this morning, and he was talking about one of his grandchildren, how he remembered seeing him at youth camp, and that camp meeting, that camp blessing, uh, slain out in the Spirit at about six, seven, eight years old. Uh, he said he must have been slain out in the Spirit for an hour. And he said, ever since then, the hand of God has been on his life. And I know that grandchild, and I've seen the hand of God on his life. Fast forward 15 years into right now. And you know what? The presence of God, it fell and it left an imprint on that young man's life. Now you and I, we share memories, or we have our own memories of the impact and the presence of God. I remember really the first time I remember feeling the presence of the Lord in my life. I was about five or six years old, maybe seven, when my uncle gave his life to the Lord and the tears were streaming down my face as I saw him get saved and come back to God. The presence of God left an imprint, hallelujah, on my life. And there have been many times since then when I've been in his presence and I felt his spirit and he's breathed on me and he's touched me. And you know some t- some stories as well. Whether it was in church, at your home, in your car, in the hospital room, whatever it was, you can tell me and you can tell the ones around you, I felt the presence of God and it's there's no denying His existence and His power and His victory. Hallelujah! His presence leaves an impact when it falls. Even, even there in in, in, uh, in 1 Samuel chapter number 6, the impact is felt. There was a man by the name of Joshua in the city of Beth Shemesh. And there he is, the, the, the Philistines, they've seen enough of the ark. They, they, don't want to, they don't want it anymore in their presence. So they, they don't know what to do with it. So they put it on this cart and they set some oxen uh, to, to carry that, that ark away. And wherever the, ark, the oxen are eating and going, that's where it ends up. And it finds itself in the field of Joshua, the Beth Shemite. And, and there he is. And, and those people, they are excited and rejoicing about the ark coming to where they live. Hallelujah. Why? They recognized uh, that, that it was a valuable asset or a valuable thing. Hallelujah. But you know what? They missed the blessing of the ark. That's my fourth point. The presence of God. You can miss the blessing that it offers. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, they took a look, those people of Beth Shemesh, they took a look into the ark. They weren't supposed to touch it. They weren't supposed to open it. It wasn't their job. They weren't anointed. It was reserved for the priesthood. The anointed ones were the only ones who were supposed to, to have access into that item. Oh, so they, these men of Beth Shemesh, their problem was they had a lack of reverence for the ways of God. You ever seen somebody when God's Spirit was moving all around, but there was somebody back in the back with their hands folded, and they missed it? I've even seen them. They've come up to the front, Brother Jones, and God's moving all around. And there they are just standing there, chewing their gum, or whatever it was, not reverencing the Spirit and the presence of God. 
I remember we were having a revival when I was in the seventh or eighth grade at the school I was attending. We were in a great spiritual awakening there. And uh, uh, the, the high school students, they, went to, they were in school in a building a little further away from us, and they called up to our building and said, hey, uh, we're, we're praying, God's moving. If anybody wants to come down and pray with us, come on down. So, so we went down there to, to get ready to pray with them. And, and I remember looking into the classroom and finding one of my friends just sitting there. See, he had, he had gotten saved recently and all that, and, and he knew enough about God to know he should have been praying with his other classmates. But where the Spirit of the Lord was moving, he was keeping a distance from. Even though in his heart he had made things right with God, at that moment I walked into that room, I said, Hey, what are you doing? Why aren't you in there praying? Oh, I've already prayed today. I knew then that something wasn't right in his spiritual walk. Something was wrong. Even as a young man, I could discern something was off there. He wasn't reverencing the Spirit of God that was moving in that moment, and he missed it. And it wasn't long until he allowed his relationship with God to erode completely. What happened? He lacked the reverence and the respect for the power and the presence of God. Listen, you can have an opportunity in his presence to receive a life-changing blessing and miss it. Because of a lack of reverence and a lack of understanding really what it is. Oh, don't miss it tonight when the Spirit of God is moving. You've got to allow Him to move on you and leave an impact, a positive impact in your life. My final point tonight is this. The presence of God is necessary for revival. The presence of God is necessary for revival. After the, the, the impact is felt, they are in Beth Shemesh. The people, they, the men, they find a way to move the ark into the house of a man by the name of Abinadab. Now, I, I want you to notice here, my friend Tim Laredo, he preached a message about 10 years ago, and he had a very good uh, uh, analytical uh, outline about this. He said, uh, he called it, Abinadab's apathy, Obed-Edom's obsession, and David's desire, all right? But Abinadab was very apathetic about the ark being in his house. In other words, he knew it was there. There was a priest that was established over that ark in his house, but for 20 years, nothing happened. That ark was just left over in a corner somewhere. Nothing was done with the ark. He didn't, he didn't make, it, make any ado about it, if you will. He didn't allow the blessing to come into his home. Really, he was apathetic. He couldn't care less about whether it was there or not. Hallelujah. Even in a sense, King Saul was apathetic about the ark. See, the ark was within his kingdom at this time. He could have called for it to go back to its proper place. But even King Saul was apathetic about the presence of God. But, but David had a desire. Amen. 
David had a desire for the ark to be brought back into its rightful place. But we know what happened. We've referenced it already. David built a new cart to bring the ark back home. But there was a man by the name of Uzzah, I believe it was, that he put forth his hand to stabilize the ark on the journey. And he died instantly because he wasn't supposed to touch it. And so David said, all right, let's not try to bring the ark back where I believe it belongs. Let's leave it right here. And I guess the closest place they could take it was to the house of a man by the name of Obed-Edom. Hallelujah. And Obed-Edom was obsessed with the Ark of the Covenant. Amen. Listen, it says this in 2 Samuel chapter 6. So David would not remove the Ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David. But David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the Ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. 20 years it was in Abinadab's house and nothing happened. But in three months, Obed-Edom was obsessed with the presence of God and he had a great revival. Amen. In his house, everyone was impacted within the presence of God at Obed-Edom's house. Why? Because he reverenced the spirit and the presence of God. Oh, listen, you want revival to come to your house? You reverence the power and the presence. You make a welcome home for the presence of God. You make sure your heart has been washed by the blood that you prayed through. Amen. Into the power of the Spirit. And God is welcome to dwell in your house. Amen. You watch your lost spouse begin to get impacted. You watch your children begin to get impacted. Your grandchildren. Hallelujah. Oh, I remember people walking into my home as a as a young man and, and saying they could feel the love and the family atmosphere there. Listen, that was created by loving parents and loving children. Hallelujah. Oh, you want your children to feel the presence of God. You've got to make room for the atmosphere to be changed by His presence. And oh, Obed-Edom did just that. And in three short months, a noticeable difference was made by the presence of God. And David heard the tidings of revival at Obed-Edom's house. And he said, you know what? We got to bring that ark where it belongs. So not only Obed-Edom is touched, but so my home is touched, and your home is touched, and their home is touched. Hallelujah. So what does he do? He finds the Levites and the priests that are needed. And they and they anoint and sanctify themselves, and they carry the ark into its rightful place, and all the glory of the Lord is felt throughout the kingdom. Why? Because the presence of God brings revival. Oh, hallelujah. The blessing was there even in David. David David made a fool of himself. His wife, Michael, amen, said, hey, you, 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 have, you have humbled yourself so much. You made a fool of yourself. You've mocked the throne. And he said, listen, you don't know what I know, what this thing represents. My God is bigger than anything in this life. Amen. I know I'm paraphrasing. I'm saying things that aren't exactly in the book, but this is basically what he told her. Get out of my 
way. I'm going to worship God because revival is coming to our people. Praise the Lord. Oh, and then Solomon. Hallelujah. He builds a temple. And they carry that ark into the temple. And the glory of the Lord fills the house so that the priest cannot stand to minister. Oh, praise the Lord. What, what, what took place? Well, they, they reverenced the presence of God. And the way it's supposed to be reverenced, they made their hearts clean. They offered sacrifice and worship to the one true God. And he honored their worship with his presence. Hallelujah. Oh, listen, if you just honor God, he'll honor your home. He'll honor your life. Hallelujah. Where Abinadab had apathy and David had desire, Obed-Edom had obsession. I want you to get this real quick about Obed-Edom. You Follow the course of the ark. You read some things about it. Obed-Edom became a doorkeeper for the ark. I mean, Obed-Edom, uh, he's just a man. The ark find its way, finds its way into his house. And he follows that presence. I want to be where the presence of the Lord is. I want to be where His Spirit is. But something better than just the symbol Amen. What, what happened when the veil was torn? Amen. Well, this is what happened. It meant that we don't only have to venture out into where we believe the presence of the Lord is, but we can walk in the presence of the Almighty God. Amen. We can walk in the Spirit of the Lord. We can walk in victory and in triumph. We can come boldly before the throne of God. Amen. I don't have to, I don't have to find where the Holy of Holy is. I don't have to travel into Israel and try to find where the Ark of the Covenant resides. But I can just get on my knees right now in this moment, in this trial, in this struggle, and I can entertain the presence of God and my life be changed in that moment. Why? Because, because he doesn't dwell in Solomon's temple. He dwells in the individual. Hallelujah. Oh, he made a way through the blood, through the cross, so that we can have him with us, walking with us, empowering us by his spirit. Oh, what does it mean? It means that we are candidates to be wrapped in his glory. Amen. I want his glory to envelop my soul. And I want him not just to impact me, but to impact those around me. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. Lord, I long for your presence. Oh, hallelujah. Lord, I long for your presence. What's it going to take to have a revival in our classrooms? What's it going to take to have a revival in our, young, in our youth group? What's it going to take to have a revival in our family and in our home? What's it going to take to have a revival in our workplace? I'll tell you what it's going to take. It's going to take each one of us allowing His presence to prevail over everything else in our lives. You know, I, I've heard stories of men. Smith Wigglesworth was one. I'm sure you've heard the stories of him. It was like whenever he walked into a factory, into a building, men would come under conviction 
just because he was there. That's crazy. He didn't have to speak a word. He didn't have to preach a sermon. But the anointing on his life was so powerful that people would just fall there, begin to repent. Do you want that in your life? I want that in my life. Hallelujah. I remember hearing stories of Brother Gene Calicott, pastored in Indiana, I believe Richmond, Indiana, that area. How he walked into a service one night. He just sat in there. And there was a demon-possessed person in that service. And they started to cry out, What's Calicott doing here? Why is Calicott here? What was happening? That man had been in the presence of God. And the power of God was using him in that moment to change the atmosphere. How can that happen in me, Brother Cruz? How can that happen? I'll tell you, it's just a dedicated life. Is that easy? Yeah, it really is. See, the blood of Jesus washes away our sin. The Spirit fills us by the power of speaking in other tongues, that initial evidence. Then He anoints us and equips us for His service. It doesn't take a pastor to change the atmosphere. A father, a mother, a brother, a sister can change the atmosphere. You can walk into Panera and change the atmosphere. You can walk in wherever you work. Change the atmosphere. Maybe you work at the schoolhouse. You can change the atmosphere. Our students, you can walk into Amherst and Vermilion High and change the atmosphere. Why? Because you've been in the presence of God and God has changed you. And revival can start. Let it start with me, Lord. Hallelujah. Who wants to draw a circle figuratively and get in that circle? I heard a story the other day. This lady, she was uh, ministering in a women's prison. And she took some hula hoops into that prison. And she said, all right, ladies, this is what we're going to do. We're going to put these hula hoops on the ground. You're going to get in that hula hoop. And you're going to say, Lord, I'm not leaving here until something happens. I'm not leaving here until I see this happen in my life. I'm not leaving here until I see you meet this need, until, until I see you meet this need. I'm not leaving here. Hallelujah. And she said they started seeing revival in prison. Why? Because they allowed the presence of God to fall on them. Hallelujah. Oh, if you allow the presence of God fall in your life. You're going to have to let it change some things. You might have to be willing to even confront some things. Oh, but out of conflict often arises growth. Revival can happen. Amen. I believe it. If you believe it, I want you to come. Find yourself a place to pray. Seek His presence right now. Lord, I want victory that comes with Your presence. I'm not going to manipulate it. I'm not going to try to to get it moving and hopping and hyped up. I, I want Your presence to fall in my life. It don't have to fall on the person next to me. I want You to fall on my life. Lord, I want to see the impact that takes place. 
Lord, I want to see the revival that comes. Oh, let your power, oh Lord. Oh, I know we've got individuals in this house tonight. They're experiencing revival. There, there have been young men called to ministry in recent weeks. There, 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 I've seen families that have been getting involved in prayer and, and trying to seek God more than they have in a long time. What is that? That's revival. Let His presence fill this place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.